team for winning that. Now, um, I'm going to go ahead and go into our prayer and just want to remind you we're praying for the Hardings. We have a missionary each month that we pray for. The Hardings are in Africa running a Bible college, and there's a lot of great work they're doing there. So uh, we're going to lift them up in our prayer and for our service. Father, thank you so much for um, the opportunity to have a time of the year where we just focus on being grateful and thankful. We're just, we're just so thankful for this uh, weekend and that emphasis. Thank you for the fellowship of our church, even in fun events like the football game. But Lord, we just pray today as we go to your word that you would challenge us to examine our hearts, to see if uh, an attitude of gratitude exists, that we exemplify a thankfulness for what you have done, for who you are, and being in your family, Lord. We ask your blessing on the, the, the sermon, that it would teach us, shape us, admonish us, exhort us in thankfulness. We lift up the Hardings as well. We want to remember them through this month, this praying that you watch over them, protect them in their efforts, and that you, Lord, would bless their ministry, the Bible college they're running, the church, and churches that they have an impact on. We uh, lift them up. We commit all these things to you, Lord, in Christ's name. Amen. <coughs> now, as I said, uh, we are focused this morning on Thanksgiving. It's a great time of year. As I said in my prayer, I love that we have one time in the year that we focus on thankfulness. I have a lot of Scripture today. Most of it's going to be up there on the screen, but I'm starting out with Thanksgiving, focused on 1 Thessalonians 5, give thanks in all circumstances. But one of the best places you can go to be fed from God's Word on thankfulness is the Psalms. The Psalms are a collection of songs, not written by one person, written by uh, multiple authors. It's like when you were growing up, you had a hymn book. Uh, anybody remember those? And you would open them up, and there were all kinds of hymns. You might have 200 songs in there written by different people. That's what the, the book of Psalms in the Bible is. It's a collection of songs. Let me just read one to you. But before I do, before I do, there's a pattern that we're going to be looking at today about what Thanksgiving is. Thanksgiving, it's an attitude of gratitude, and there's three things I'm breaking this down into for you to kind of digest and apply to yourself. Number one, outward expression, okay, which comes from an inward work. There's something going on inside of you that's either producing a thankfulness that's outwardly expressed, or sometimes there's struggles, and we're not that grateful. We're, we're, we're complaining. So something's going on on the inside, but ultimately, we want it to be good, and you're cultivating a heart attitude. Now, let me just demonstrate those three things by reading to you a psalm. This is Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Now, see right there? There's an outward expression. That's the first one, right? Outward expression. Come into His presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him. Bless His name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And His faithfulness to all 
generations. Now, when you read that, you can see these things are at work. Outward expression of something on the inside. There's a work going on inside of us, which should be, over the span of your spiritual life, a growing maturity in understanding who our Heavenly Father is and a thankfulness towards Him. And we have this attitude of gratitude. However, you could digest that, which is something I've been doing more over the last few years, is reading the Psalms more and more and letting them speak into my life. And you get this thankfulness, and, but then you, you go out into the world, right? You, you watch the news, you look at your phone, you're on social media, and I just put together a few images that, that project upon you the opposite of goodness and gratefulness and thankfulness. These are things we stress about. These are things that we might get anxiety over. These are things that might cause arguments, right? And it grades against this attitude of gratitude within us. We become a person that is worried, a person who's stressed. And so this is what it means to be a Christian, to put God's Word in here, to go out in the world, and somehow you live in such a way that you are um, thankful no matter the circumstance, which was the very first verse I gave you, thankful in all circumstances. Now, I want to take you to a couple places in the New Testament where Paul writes about thankfulness. The first is Philippians 4. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now, you see right there in the middle of that verse, don't be anxious about anything. And then I go back to those images that project anxiety and worry and stress. And you say, don't be anxious about anything because there's a lot of things to be anxious about, right? But yet we read God's Word. It goes in here and tells us, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious about anything. And I go back to those three things that I want you to, to digest today, which are outward expression, inward work, cultivating heart attitude. And let's look at that verse again and see if those things are there. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Well, there's outward expression. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now, there's an inward work. There's something going on in the inside prayer and supplication. I'm going to the Lord and I'm bringing my prayer requests. I'm, bringing, I'm supplicating Him with, my, with what's going on in my life. And there's thanksgiving. These are things that are coming from the inside out. And now we see a cultivation of what kind of heart attitude should be there. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now, let me take you to one more place where Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. 
Now, that breaks down into those three very easy. Number one, rejoice always. There's that outward expression. Pray without ceasing. That's something internal that's going on. Give thanks in all circumstances. There's a hard attitude, right, that comes out of us. But you, you, you look at that and you go, really? Don't be anxious about anything? And you, you look at those images again and you think there's a lot to be anxious about. So there's something about thankfulness that's supposed to work against anxiety in every situation of life. Now, we, we see that in the passage, right? The outward expression, the inward work, cultivating a heart attitude. Now, um, I want us to think about the context in which these things were written. Because songs are like that. Philippians 4, the passage I read to you, comes out of a category of books in the Bible called prison epistles. Paul wrote this when he was in prison. Philippians 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. He wrote that in prison. The context matters. It tells us something. Now, um, even the Psalms. When we get to the Psalms, we find that each one of those has a context too. It's interesting sometimes to think about some of the famous songs that we know, and you may not be familiar with the context from which they were written. Some of the great hymns of our faith our national anthem, the Star-Spangled Banner. Have you read those stories about how, what was going on when they were written? And I want you to take that thought to the Psalms, because every one of the Psalms that were written has a context as well. And what I want to show you is the thankfulness in David's circumstances. I'm going to look at some of the circumstances that David was in and then what he wrote. Just like I said, Paul wrote that when he was in prison. Rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. Be thankful. But you're in prison, Paul. And David, the context is similar. Many of the Psalms that he wrote were in hard situations. For example, we're going to look at one when he was fleeing and trying to escape King Saul in 1 Samuel 21, we see that part of the story is he escaped by faking madness to a king, King Achish. And in that story in 1 Samuel 21, which I'm giving you where it's at, you can read it later if you want, but I'm going to tell you what happened is he's, he's fleeing from Saul. If you're not familiar with the, with the story of David, he was anointed when he was young. God said, this is going to be our king. When he was a boy, he grew up. And when he grew up, 
they, uh, Saul, the king, became jealous and envy him. He saw him as, this is the guy that's going to take over from me. And so he actually begins to pursue him to kill him. I'm going to eliminate the competition. Maybe I'll have greater longevity as a king if I eliminate the guy who's supposed to succeed me. And David had become popular. He killed Goliath. And they sang a song about him. Saul has killed his thousands. David has killed his tens of thousands. It's like suddenly he's up the chart of the king. And so he pursued him. Now in this particular passage in 1 Samuel 21, David goes to the region of Gath. And the king there is King Achish. And he's known. Men take David and they take him to King Akish. Now, Gath is important because do you know who was from Gath? Goliath. David killed one of the mightiest warriors from Gath. Here he's in that region. He comes to the king from that region. There's some leverage here. There's, some, there's an opportunity. I could, I could turn him over to Saul. And they bring him in to the king. And David pretends to be insane. Now, have you ever heard about like somebody who's, who can't stand trial because they're deemed uh, unfit mentally? This was David. If you read the story, he begins scratching on the wall, and, and he allows drool to come all down his beard, and he's not making any sense. And the king observes him, and the king says, this guy's crazy. In fact, it's kind of funny. He says, I'm already surrounded by madmen. I don't need another one. Get rid of him. And he escapes. Just think about this situation. I'm fleeing for my life from King Saul who wants to kill me even though God's anointed me to be king. And now I'm having to pretend to be an insane man just to keep safe. And he turns around and he writes Psalm 34. Psalm 34. I don't give you the whole thing. I took a portion of it. He says, I, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt His name together. I sought the Lord, and He answered me, and delivered me from all my fears. That's the context of that psalm. Later, we see that David not only escaped, escaped by faking madness, but we see he's hiding in a cave running from Saul. Again, Saul is after him to get him, and he has to hide in a cave. I don't know about you, if you've ever gone spelunking or lived in a cave, it gets pretty dark, it's pretty dirty, you start to sweat a lot, you smell, there's no amenities there, and he's having to hide out and live parts of his life in places like a cave. In fact, it happens more than once, there's twice. So we're not even sure if the psalm I'm going to read to you which time it was. One time he was in a cave and Saul came and slept there. Didn't know David was in there. He snuck up, cut a little piece of his clothes off and later waved it at him and said, I could have killed you, but I didn't. But he's fleeing from him and he's hiding. And he writes Psalm 57, be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me. For in you my soul takes refuge in the shadow of your wings I take refuge. Till the storms of destruction pass by, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. 
And he writes that psalm as he's hiding out in grungy places from someone who's trying to kill him. Another time is when he is betrayed by the Ziphites. He's actually in a region called the Wilderness of Ziph. And this is what happens. The Philistines come and they're raiding and stealing from God's people. And somebody comes to David and says, hey, the Philistines are, are attacking God's people. They're stealing from him. And he's not the king. King Saul should be dealing with that, right? But David gathers his mighty men and he goes to, to fight them, to protect uh, God's people from this threat. And as it turns out, he ends up on the run from Saul again, from coming out of hiding, and he ends up in the wilderness of Ziph. Yes, I know, the wilderness of Ziph. Sounds like it's in the Lord of the Rings novel, the Ziphites. And here they come, and guess what they do? The Ziphites, they sneak off to Saul, and they say, hey, King David's in our region. We know you're looking for him. And they begin to plot a plan with King Saul. We'll reveal him to you. You can come get him. It's, it's using something again. It's, sometimes when you got two struggles for power and you're in the middle, you think this one's going to win. We're going to go side with that one because in the outcome, in the end, we'll be in that guy's favor. And the Ziphites betray David. And David, from that context, writes Psalm 54. I'm sorry. Yes, Psalm 54. Make sure I get the right one. With a free will offering... I will sacrifice to you. I will give thanks to your name, O Lord, for it is good. For he has delivered me from every trouble, and my eye has looked in triumph on my enemies. Now, one of the things I notice about David, I mean, if you go all the way back when he was a boy, and he has the confrontation with Goliath and wins, there's a foundation there of faith that God's going to help me against the Goliaths of life against hard situations. And going forward, he's always going to remember that, that God has been faithful in all these times. And when you begin to read these Psalms, because these are, these are chronological, I'm giving them to you in his life, he's pointing back, you have delivered me, I know you can do it again. But he still is saying, good, you're a good God. Even though all of these hardships and these contexts don't seem very good. Then I want to give you a different context when he's not fleeing from someone. In 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12, we have the story of David and Bathsheba and the confrontation by uh, God's prophet, Nathan. If you know the story, David is king now, and he eyeballs and sees Bathsheba, likes her, brings her to him, seduces her, gets her pregnant, but she's married. She's a married woman. Well, God's not going to like that. that. That cannot be known publicly. And so he works it out that her husband ends up in the fierce battle and dies. Now she's free. He can take her to himself because there's no husband. And David thinks he's got away with it. Nobody knows. But God does. And he sends his prophet. It's a great story. The prophet comes. And the prophet tells David this story about this rich shepherd that had all these sheep. And he went over to this 
shepherd that had only one, and he took the one sheep and killed it to feed people over here, and it made him angry. And he said, tell me who that guy is. We're going to kill him for doing that. And Nathan says, that's you. Oh, he just judged himself. And he's convicted by his sin. And from that, he writes Psalm 51. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. What an appropriate tone for the context that he's written. And yet a a different context, on the run again, but for a different reason. No longer Saul, but now it's his own son, Absalom. He's fleeing to safety after his son has betrayed him. He's struck a blow to his father. I just randomly picked this picture of my son scoring a touchdown against our team. But uh, the reality is, is that in David's story, his son Absalom sat at the, the city gate and he began to work in a way with words, giving wisdom out, gaining trust among the public and the people until he had enough of a following that he could rise up against his father and try to take the throne from him. And here he is fleeing from his own son who wants to kill him. And he writes, Psalm 3, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and He answered me from His holy hill. And those are only five. There's a lot more. There's a lot more stories and contexts from which David wrote Psalms. And I just put the ones that I gave you up there, thankfulness in David's circumstances. The ones I've given you, he's escaping by faking madness to King Achish. He's hiding in a cave after pursuit by King Saul to kill him. He's betrayed by the Ziphites. There's conviction in his own life because of his sin. And he's fleeing from his own son who wants to kill him and take over. Those were David's contexts, his stories. And the question that I have for you is, what are yours? What are your stories? What are your contexts? What struggles, what strife? I doubt any of you have had a son chasing you down to kill you. I doubt you've had to hide in a cave. These kinds of stories seem grand, but we have our own. We have our own struggles and stories. And how do you respond? Do you respond in the way that David has, looking backwards on all the times that God has been faithful and delivered him? You weave into your responses to God not only prayers, but also words that affirm you believe his goodness, gratitude and thankfulness for what he has done. How do you do it? You might ask. Well, I want to give you three thoughts, and the first one is this. You need to understand that thankfulness is what God wants from you no matter the situation, even if you lose terribly in a football game. Thankfulness 
in every situation. Let me take you to, um, back to the First Thessalonians passage. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now, I love that because we are a people that oftentimes are trying to discern, what does God want me to do? What does God want in my life? Sometimes you're trying to make a decision about maybe moving to this place or staying or between moving in two different locations. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about sometimes there's specificity that the Bible gives us about exactly what He wants. It is the will of God for you to be thankful in every situation. You can never or you should never like, for example, come to pastor and say, hey, I'm praying right now if God wants me to be thankful or not. No. You don't need to pray about it. He does. There's your answer. He wants you to be thankful no matter the situation. And let me just tell you, being a father, you want your children to be thankful. Do you know how much it goes through as parents to raise a child? Mother carrying for nine months that baby, going through labor and birth and and the long process of raising them up, changing poopy diapers, trying to teach them good and, and bad, and, and trying to teach them discipline. And, and I mean, it is a lot of work. And you don't, you don't want to go through all that, and then you have a child who's ungrateful, do you? Just think about that on an earthly playing field, right? On a heavenly one, how much more has God done for us? Giving up His own Son to die for you, so you could now come and be part of His family. He wants you to be thankful. And there's moments, right, where our kids are not thankful. They're complaining about something. There's, we're doing so much, and then it's like, it, we're not perfect in everything, but when they start to complain, you're like, hey, come on. Well, our Heavenly Father is perfect. It's so easy for us to complain Number one, how do you do it? You must understand that God wants you. It's His will to be thankful in every situation. Number two, how do we do it? Well, you need to wrap all your prayers with thanksgiving. Now, let me go back to that passage in Philippians. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication. Say it with me. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now, do you see that? Whatever it is that you're worrying about, we, he says, bring it to the Lord in prayer, in your prayers, in supplications to Him, in requests to Him, also include thanksgiving. Lord, this is what I'm stressed about. I'm going to give it to you. That's what David did. They're chasing me. They want to kill me. But then the very next sentence is something that's thankful, that's grateful. When you go to the Lord in prayer, you need to weave into your prayers thoughts of thankfulness, expressions of gratitude. You must wrap your prayers with thanksgiving. There's a lot. I go back to those images, right? Those images of all the things that can project anxiety and stress upon us. 
You take one of those and you go to the Lord, I'm stressed about this. Well, then you wrap it up with thanksgiving as well because the, the reality is if you can take one of those, there's 10 things you could put next to it that you should be thankful for that God has done for you. And I thought of it this way. I took one of those, inflation, and then I wrapped next to it a whole bunch of pictures of things we could be grateful for. All through the sermon on my slides, they've been putting these pictures that are good Thanksgiving-type pictures. I took all of them and put them together on one slide next to one thing that would be something to have stress over. Lord, it's getting more expensive to feed all these kids. The cost of everything is going up. I'm getting stressed out about how am I going to pay for this? How am I going to... And you know what? Right next to that, in that prayer, I'm thankful for God's Word. I'm thankful for my church family. I'm thankful for my close family. I'm thankful for... I have to admit, I've never actually prayed for a pie, you know, in a prayer. But it does fit the Thanksgiving theme. But I am thankful generically, for all the provision that He gives. You see how you do that? Think about 10 things that you can be thankful for and you wrap that up next to whatever's given you stress. How do we do it? The third thing is let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. So we understand that thankfulness is what God wants wrap all our prayers with thanksgiving, and then we let the Word of God, the Word of Christ, dwell in you richly. Now, I'm going to go to a verse I haven't given you yet today. It's Colossians 3.16. It says this, and be thankful. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Now, you just look at that. It's bookended with thankfulness. Be thankful, and at the end, with thanks, thankfulness, let the Word of Christ dwell. What does that word mean? To dwell means to, the, they get the, the word for pitching a tent. You dwell inside the tent. You put the tent up, and then you would go into it and live in it. You would dwell in it. It's a dwelling let the Word of Christ dwell within you. This is the Word of Christ, the Word of God. The words of God are holy and truthful, and I'm pitching it like a tent right there. See, it's a tent, and you need to take this and put it in here. Every single day, you should carve out time where you take God's Word and you put it in here. It must live within you richly. Some of you, it lives within you Five cents, a quarter. It's not rich in you. You don't invest in it. But you need to be a financial tycoon when it comes to God's Word. You let it dwell richly within you. A million bucks. I'm going to get up and I'm going to put it into my heart. I'm going to put it into my soul. I'm going to let it be in my mind. Because I take out my phone and I look at it, and there's a thousand images that project anxiety and stress and can make me upset. And you must grade against that with the richness of God's Word. Teaching 
and admonishing. Now that can be brother to brother, sister to sister, brother to sister. But even God's Word, just reading it, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It can rightly divide. It carves out that which would be anxiety and stress-related. It takes you back to what is foundational. David, in his stressful situations, he had to come back to that. But you are good. You have been faithful. You have delivered me. It teaches, it admonishes. To admonish is remember. You're being filled with anxiety. Remember. And do you know what comes out of that? See, that's an internal thing. You're working it out on the inside through prayer. The Bible's going into you, and it's rightly dividing. It's admonishing. It's internal. And if you let it work, what's the outward expression? What does he say here? In all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Do you know that one of the results of mature Christianity is you become a singer? You become a singer. When I teach on worship, I talk about this, that the Bible says that worship is where God dwells. You can meet Him there. He inhabits the praises of His people, the Bible says. He inhabits, He comes and lives within the praises of His people. When it's time to worship, our heart goes upward and we meet God in song because He dwells there. And let me tell you something. You cannot be in the presence of God and it not affect things like stress and anxiety. I mean, just physically, if you're physically standing before a holy, almighty being, perfect in kindness and love, somehow every stress of the world would melt away. Every fear would seem insignificant. And there's an aspect to worship where we come into the presence of God and it grades against things like stress and anxiety. And what comes out of us is thankfulness and gratitude, a heart filled with those things, and we end up singing. At some point, we are, we are singers, and we're all different. I'm not saying we all are the best singers in the world. Some just make a joyful noise. But others, you know, they are good. Well, it only says make a joyful noise. But we become that. <clears throat> and where does it lead us? Thankfulness in our hearts. You know, I want to take you back to the Philippians. I'm going to finish with this. I want you to read it with me again. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Come on, you can read it with me. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now, the reason I'm finishing with this is because look at the very end. That is cultivating a heart attitude. Peace. Peace and 
joy and thankfulness. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, what does it do? It guards you. It protects you, your mind and your heart in Christ Jesus. If you are a person that suffers from anxiety, I would encourage you, get into God's Word. Know that His will is for you to be thankful. Let it apply. Wrap it up in thankfulness and take your anxiety to Him in prayer. Because you cannot find peace apart from that. If your joy is not in the right thing, it can be stolen, it can be corroded. But there is a peace that passes all understanding. Paul, who wrote these words from prison, and he was a man of peace and joy. Paul, who wrote about his life, he said, I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, often near to death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many and a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And yet he was a man who was thankful full of gratitude, had a joy strengthened by his relationship with his heavenly Father. How can we not be grateful? Because that list, none of us are there. I mean, it sounds like lost in space. Danger, 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 Will Robinson, right? Every turn of the corner, there's danger. And yet he had a heart full of thankfulness and gratitude into peace. When I was in high school, I ran around with, there was four of us, my brother Matt, and there was two best friends, Dave and Jesse. And we got so many stories, crazy stuff we did, worked together, always thankful for their friendships. I remember our senior year, we went to I think, it was, I think it was senior year, but we went to our youth group, went to Angel Island, which is an island in the Bay Area of San Francisco. And we were going to ride our bikes, the whole youth group, around the island. It takes like a, you know, half the day to do it, depending on how much you stop. And when you do that, you spread out. We had a large youth group, 40, 50, I don't know, but you don't all stay together. You spread out, you're riding all over this island. I remember when we got to the end, we rode into where we were supposed to, to finish, and there was a lot of chaos, and there were, there were people stressed out and some crying, and I thought, what is going on? And my friend Jesse zipped down a very steep hill and didn't see that at the bottom there was a drop-off, and when he went off of it, he crashed very badly. They had to helicopter him to a hospital, and we found out later he had broken his neck. 
We went to see him in the hospital, my friends, and I was surprised at how peaceful he was because we had learned he had no feeling in his feet. They told him, you're probably never going to walk again. And I remember talking to him and he said something to me. He said, he referenced that verse, I have a peace that passes all understanding. And he made a joke about it. We can't understand it, but I got it. <laughs> he was at peace. And it was amazing to watch him in his journey because he gave it all to the Lord. But over the next year, year and a half, the doctors were wrong. He got feeling back. He walked again. In fact, when we went to college, he came, and I played soccer in college. So did my brother and my friend Dave. And he came and wanted to try out, and they ended up putting him on the team, even though he didn't play much. He could run, and he could kick. He wasn't the same. He was very stiff. He couldn't turn his neck, you know, and, but he had such a great attitude, and we all loved him. Sometimes there were jokes because he didn't have full control. He'd be talking with you like this, and slobber would just come out like that, you know. And, but man, he, he was a testimony of what God did in his life. Do you know he, he lives in Texas and is a fireman right now? The peace that passes all understanding because it's rooted in the right thing. A thankfulness for what the Father has done for us in every circumstance. Be thankful. Father, I pray for our church that we would take what is written today, apply it to our own lives. We all have different situations, different contexts. If we were to go home today and write a psalm, what would it look like? Could we write like David? Maybe we would take and we would fill it with supplication and prayer. Help me, Lord. Put it before you. But would we wrap around those prayers thankfulness for who you are, remembering what you have done in the past for us, that you would be a God who remains faithful and our prayers would express a belief in that and that you are good, to never doubt your goodness. You're a Father who wants us to be thankful. That's your will for us. And I pray that we'd be better taking to, to you whatever it is that we are anxious about, that we would build into our lives the regular practice of letting Scripture dwell richly within us. Let it work. Bring us to a point where we can be grateful no matter the circumstance and find a peace that transcends the things of this world those outside the church would say, I don't understand how that guy has a peace. Broken neck, told we can't walk, yet there can be a peace. And so we ask for that, God. We put it before you in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and we'll finish our service worshiping together.